Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, welcome, sports fans. My name is Jake Anzuski. You can call me Jake Iggy or Iggy for short. And this is Iggy's Sports Talk. I really appreciate everybody tuning in this week. I am recording here at 91.7 WPCR in Plymouth. And I have a very exciting show here for you guys. I have a very special guest on today. His name is Aaron Barnett, and he is currently the Yankees bullpen catcher. So how you doing, Aaron? I'm doing well, Jake. How you doing? I'm doing great so far. So I, I've, I, I like to ask this question to all my guests because, you know, 2020 has sort of been an unprecedented time to where, you know, obviously things haven't really worked out for some people. And, you know, so, sometimes uh, the quarantine was a huge blessing for a lot of people. So as hard as 2020 was, I want to ask you sort of what was your favorite moment of the year uh, where you can look back at the end of the year and be like, this is what made this year good? That's, that's a good question. Yeah, it was definitely a, a crazy year. Um, you know, we showed up at spring training, obviously none of this was in the cards and, and we just expected a totally normal year to follow. And then a few weeks in, we started hearing about the first cases of coronavirus. And a couple weeks after that, um, the whole thing got shut down and, and we got sent home. So, you know, that was, it was rough for sure, but um, definitely the right thing to do to make sure that health came first for the country. Um, you know, coming back was a lot of fun in July when <clears throat> summer camp started back up. I think probably my favorite moment of the year was uh, winning that playoff series against Cleveland. That was a heck of a lot of fun to be a part of. And that really, uh, you know, that's after we traveled or right before we traveled to San Diego. And um, that was a lot of fun and just cool to be a part of a playoff atmosphere for my first time um, at the big league level. Yeah, 100%. It must have been sort of weird, especially like starting off the year in, in spring training, being very excited for, for, for your first year working with the Yankees. And it, it must have been something where it, you were so excited for the season and then, bam, it, it, it's all over and you guys got to pack up and go home. Like, what, what was that sort of conversation like? Was there an announcement throughout the team? And sort of how did you hear about it? Yeah, it came on fast. Um, we started hearing rumors about something like that could happen just kind of in the media. Um, as the cases started increasing in the United States. And then I think we were playing at the Washington Nationals um, spring training park there, and we were playing against the Nationals. And we kind of heard some rumors before the game that it was getting more intense. And then after the game, um, we were pulled aside by the coaches and just explained, you know, this is, uh, this is what's going to go on. You know, this is the only way that it could have been done. And so that was when we pretty much were told, okay, we'll have a certain amount of time to pack our things and, and get home and then wait to hear more and, and you know, at that time, it was hopefully we'll have a chance to come back. And then obviously we did. And, and that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, it must have been something where during that time, especially that period off, which was like two or three months, uh, like what were you thinking during that time? I mean, obviously that was during quarantine when nobody really know, knew what was going on. But did you, did you think that there was going to be a 2020 season? Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I did. I was confident it would happen. I just think you know, both sides, the ownership side and the, and the union side, um, we're both so committed to making it happen. And, and I know there's a lot of back and forth and that kind of thing, but, you know, hopefully most of that's been forgotten now because they're able to come to an agreement and we had a season. So I was confident we would have one. Um, a lot of the dates, you know, like I think the first suggestion was sometime in April and then May, and then you kept getting pushed back. And so the further it went, the less confident I became, um, and some of that was because of negotiations. Some of it was because of the virus cases. So there are a lot of different variables going on. But, you know, fortunately, they were able to figure it out. And um, the league was able to do it in a way that was safe enough for us to, to play. So um, 
like I said, confident that it would happen and a little mm-hmm. bit, um, you know, uncomfortable at times with how long it took, but ultimately it was really cool that we were able to make it happen. Yeah, I, I bet it must have been especially really nice because kind of like I mentioned before, that this was your first year uh, being the Yankees bullpen catcher. And so you were obviously excited to get the, get the season going. And so I was, I was curious, during, during that time when there was dates being thrown out and, you know, dur- during the deliberation between the players' union and the ownership groups, uh, did you get any rumblings of potential dates that, or that could be coming out? Or did you get any texts from, from any friends that you have sort of in the league or around the league saying this could potentially happen, we could be coming back soon? Um, yeah, a little bit. It was kind of – we didn't really have a hard date in terms of when we'd be back. It was more just always be ready on like a two-week notice. So never, you know, commit to any plans or commit to doing anything that would take you, um, you know, away from what you're doing for more than two weeks because – whenever that agreement happened, it was going to be about a 10 to 14 day period in which we would have to get out to spring training or summer camp, summer training. So um, we didn't really have a hard date, but definitely like as it got into June, we knew it was right around the corner. And so then it was like really just hunker down and, and make sure that it'd be out there in a pinch. Sense. Now, I was wondering, so during your quarantine time, like I said, it was like two to three months or so, sort of what did you do? Were you like most other people, just been some shows, spend time with family, that sort of stuff? Or did you do anything sort of fun in, in, in a sense of being home? Or Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's funny to think about. I, I, uh, I don't watch a ton of TV shows, so I definitely, um, at the beginning, I was, it was crazy because we had so much going on for spring training and all of a sudden nothing, right? So I got home and took a couple weeks um, to just kind of rest my arm. We made a lot of throwing during spring training um, in, in my job. And so rested my arm and then started working out after about two weeks. And one of the big things just keep my body in shape because of that, you know, 10 to 14 day window that we'd have to get back. That wouldn't be enough to get back up to speed. So I knew I had to keep my arm going, um, you know, keep my body in shape to do my job. And then other than that, we had some remote assignments we could do for the team. So I was able to do some stuff on the computer and then for leisure, just, played some guitar, went surfing, went hiking a lot, that kind of stuff. Just kind of found ways to enjoy myself and um, hang out with people in a socially distanced way um, half the time. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely sort of a weird, strange sort of two or three months during that time. Nobody really knew, like, are we able to be six feet apart? And obviously, like, bars and, like, that sort of stuff isn't open. I'm curious, how was was the situation in Arizona? Uh, Because during the conversation, you mentioned that you're – uh, you're in Arizona currently and I was wondering is, is it still kind of shut down or are things mainly open or yeah so right now it's pretty opened up out here in Arizona um, there's limited capacity seating at most of the restaurants indoors there's outdoor seating um, the bars are open but um, it's not like I guess there's not really dancing it's more just seating at tables and that kind of thing I'd say Arizona overall though is probably one of the more opened up places right now um, and so you know, in terms of freedom to go about and do things, it's been nice, but I'm still pretty cautious at this point um, because I'll be going home, you know, to see family and my grandparents live near us and stuff. So I don't want to put anybody at risk that way. So I I don't really take advantage of all the openness that Arizona has to offer, but I think overall they're probably less restricted right now than other places. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I remember there was a period when uh, Arizona had like a massive spike, same with like Florida. I think that was like two or so months ago. Um, and it was something where I, I had I was I had to ask because I talked to somebody from California just this past yeah. week. Like, Wait, you're going to the bar? Like, you're able to go to a restaurant? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been able to yeah. do it once. 
Yeah. So, and when I was home in California during the quarantine, yeah, nothing was open. It was very much locked down. And um, obviously being in Arizona now, it's quite a bit more open, I think, even now than California is. I, whenever I talk to my folks, you know, they kind of give me the rundown of what's going on there and it sounds very different. So <laughs> certainly, um, like I said, it's nice that, you know, not as restricted, but again, I, I'm not, it's not like I'm doing a whole lot anyway. So. That makes sense. I, I, and I was curious, you, you said that the Yankees sort of gave you guys like remote assignments. And I, I was curious during that quarantine time, when especially nobody knew if the season was even going to happen as a bullpen catcher, did they give you sort of assignments or things to work on or, or just like a general plan of, of what you should be trying to doing to, to stay sort of, like you said, uh, stay in shape? Yeah. So, you know, as far as staying in shape, it's pretty much just trusted us to do what we needed to do and make sure that we're healthy. Cause again, it is, Part of my job description is being able to throw a lot and um, being able to catch a lot. So like that piece of it is if you can't do that, then you don't have the job. So they pretty much expected me to be able to do that. Um, as far as remote assignments, yeah, there was just different putting together different videos for the pitchers and, and looking at our catchers and seeing if we can identify ways to improve and things like that. So nothing crazy, but enough that when I had conversation with the coaches, we could come to uh, an action plan for what we're trying to get out of it. That makes sense. And so I, I want to sort of sort of understand a little bit more about your background in baseball, like growing up and and, and specifically just, just catching. And so did, did you did you when you were growing up, were you mainly a catcher uh, throughout like little leagues and like that sort of stuff? Yeah, I was always a catcher. I mean, I think maybe back in early in little league, like single A, double A, I'd play other positions, shortstop, first base, outfield, whatever. Um, but once I started playing club ball full time, which yeah, I was probably 10 or 11, I was catching pretty much exclusively. And that carried on through middle school, high school, college. So if I could do it all over again, I definitely would have tried to like play other positions and mm-hmm. be more versatile in that way. But um, but also I love catching, so I'm definitely not complaining about it. Just hindsight. Yeah, I was just I was just curious because at least from my experience, like growing up in Little League, it was, it was sort of where it, whoever is willing to catch, like you're the catcher for the entire right, league. Right. Nobody else wants to go behind the plate and potentially get hit by the baseball. Yeah, it's definitely you're in harm's way quite a bit. But for me, it was just being a part of every play. Like I would be in the outfield doing batting motions and throwing motions. And um, my coach was just like, no, you need to be more involved because you're like going crazy out there. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So <laughs> behind the plate and I've loved, I love the fact that you're in every play. I think that, and I always loved hitting. So I knew that down the road, a lot of times they restrict pitchers from hitting. And so I thought, okay, well, catching is the best of both worlds. So. Exactly. That, that makes sense. And sort of growing up, I, I was curious, I, I saw that you're wearing uh, a Yankee shirt. I mean, obvi- obviously because you, you work for the Yankees, but I was, I was curious, what was your favorite team growing up? Um, I actually really liked the Yankees, uh, some family back East. So some Yankee fans in there. Um, I I'd say probably my favorite team was the angels just being from the Southern California area um, and, and going to a lot of games. And in high school, we take the train to games and things like that. So definitely most closely involved with the angels in terms of the team I followed the most, but I'd say it's probably the angels first and the Yankees second, I think. That makes sense. That, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping yeah. the Angels can uh, can help Mike Trout get back to the playoffs or, or get to the playoffs. Yeah. So. No kidding. Yeah, it's been it's been a tough run for them, but they seem to have, um, you know, they have a, a bunch of really good players. So it's like mm-hmm. they're just a couple pieces away, I think, from really making a push. They, they, they just need to focus on pitching. They just need to spend more money on pitching than try and go and out and get Anthony Rendon. But it makes it makes sense. I get it. <laughs> 
That's just, that's just me critiquing. But uh, I, I was curious as well. So was there any players growing up uh, that you looked up to and, and sort of that you tried to replicate sort of your game after? Yeah, I think um, for me it was, it was kind of Joe Maurer um, on the offensive side. I love, you know, watching him hit. And I was kind of like a bats a ball hitter, not nearly as good as him and also had less power than him. But as far as like his – um, I, I really enjoyed that, just kind of how he put the ball in all fields. And so I really liked watching him hit and trying to model my swing after him. Like I talked about earlier, I, I never got close, which that's fine. But <laughs> um, And then defensively, I love watching Buster Posey. I thought he was really mm-hmm. cool and just kind of the way he carried himself. So I'd say those were the two guys that I looked to most when I was trying to um, build my own game. That makes sense. You, you just got me, quite honestly, kind of nostalgic hearing the name Joe Maurer. I haven't heard the name Joe Maurer in a little bit. And yeah. it, it, I, I just, like, grew up with that name. And it's crazy now because uh, I'm, I'm almost, like, 22. And, like, all these players are now, like, retiring that I saw, like, growing up. Like, I think I think it was, like, last year or the year before when, like, Victor Martinez, Joe Maurer um, started, re- like, retiring. And I'm like, this is so weird. Like, all these guys that I grew up watching, like, are now, like, ending their careers. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre for sure. And I'm I'm the same way. Like I grew up I'm only I think three years older than you. I'm twenty five. And yeah, all these guys that we grew up watching, it's like there's they're kinda of moving out and the new crop is moving in, which is really cool. And the funny thing is the new crop is our age now or younger than me in many cases. So it's fun to see some of these young players just really take the lead by storm. Seriously, it, it really is crazy because, I, I mean, we see guys like Acuna, um, Soto. Um, I mean, the list goes on of all these, like, 22. Flavor Torres, Jonathan yeah. Lewis. I'll throw out some Yankee names. And, and I, I'm, I'm looking. And, and even if you go away from baseball, I mean, even if you go to, like, other sports like Zion Williamson, like, he, he's, totally. like, 20 yeah. years old. And I'm, I'm, over, I'm over here at 22, and I'm like, what? This is crazy. Yeah, I think the player development piece has become really important across the sports industry in terms of how much data we can use now, Bryson DeChambeau and golf even, you know, and how much people understand about what actually builds results. And so that's been a big piece of why I think young players um, in many ways have a real advantage because they've been coached to perform um, in a better way, I think, in some cases than the guys perform. Yeah, 100%. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I, I just had to ask you a little bit about your uh, time at uh, – Pepperdine, is that how I say it? Pepperdine? Pepperdine. Pepperdine. Like diner. Yeah, Pepperdine. Perfect. And so I had, I had to ask you about your time there a little bit because uh, it was something where I, I was looking at all these awards that you got for sports, and I was looking at all these awards that you got for academics. And, uh, I mean, I, I'm a college student. I don't play sports. And, and I just got to ask you, I, I mean, you, were business, you were, had a bachelor's degree in economics, minor in applied mathematics. And you graduated with a nine point or a three point nine four GPA, and I have to ask you, how are you able to juggle both both school and athletics? Yeah, uh, no, I, I really appreciate that, Jake. Um, for for what it's worth, that GPA was for my major. It wasn't my overall. My overall GPA is a little bit lower than that. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It was really tough for sure. Um, when I was in it, I didn't really think much about it. I just kind of figured put as much time as I can into school, put as much time as I can to baseball, sleep whenever I get the chance, which kind of always took the back seat to the other two. But um, in my family, you know, we always stressed education, valued education. Um, my brother's extremely well-educated and um, was always a great influence on me. Um, and so, you know, my mom and dad were just really big on that. And so there was kind of no other option. So, um, you know, I just got lucky enough that the classes didn't crush me and I was able to 
to do them to the best of my ability and um, yeah, work out all right, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you got to be good at math. With all those mathematic classes, I don't know how I'd be able to do it. But I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, when I, when I got to college, my mom was sort of like, you see all these kids just skipping class. She's like, when you go to yeah, class, yeah. think about like just tearing up a hundred dollar bill if you skip class. Totally. And, and we had like Pepperdine was very, their athletics program was very big on us going to class. Like we had severe penalties. Like if you missed one class, just one, um, it would be, it would be a warning. And then if you missed the second one, so like you could accomplish this in one day, if you had three mm -hmm. classes, you skipped two of them, you're out for a game already. Um, if you missed three classes, which you could still accomplish in one day, <laughs> you were out indefinitely. And that was up to the discretion of the AD. So we definitely had a strong influence to go to class. Um, for me in particular, like I would have gone anyway, but I think just that the fact that they stressed education so much as a university definitely like encouraged me to continue working hard in school. Did you have any teammates that, that sort of got to that point? <laughs> um, I think, man, most of the people were pretty diligent about it. Um, I think maybe there were a couple guys who got a warning over the course of our time there. But I think everybody just kind of did like the risk analysis and they're like, this is just not worth it. I mean, right. you don't even have to devote your full attention. Like just be there, just be present. Um, and then at least you won't get taken off the baseball field. So, I mean, I, I was just thinking about, I mean, think about if you have like three classes on the morning and you sleep until like 12 yeah. or one o'clock and you're like, wow, yeah. I just slept through everything. Yeah. You're, I mean, you know, it all depends too if that teacher takes attendance and if one of the proctors from athletics is walking around. So you could get lucky, but you're definitely taking a risk if you um, sleep through classes. But fortunately, we all lived with each other most of the time. So, mm. like, if one guy got up and somebody else wasn't up, they would make sure they got up. So it's kind of on. Makes sense. That's interesting. Well, I, I I never really thought about like them being that strict because at least at Plymouth State University, like they, they, they have like a GPA obviously standard and, and you have to take time off if your GPA goes low enough. But I mean, that, that's very interesting about the attendance. I, I bet, like you said, it must've made you very diligent to keep, keep track of everything that you were doing. Yeah. And, and that was specifically the athletics program. I can't speak for students who weren't there for athletics. I don't mm -hmm. think they had any class requirements unless teachers demanded attendance. Um, but that was just Pepperdine Athletics was really big on academics. And yeah, I definitely think it helped us in the long run. That makes sense. And, and so you were an all-star uh, in your academics. You were also unreal uh, in, in your athletics. And just, just like looking at your, your career stats, I, I mean, you brought up that, that you didn't have the best power, but I mean, what catchers do? And, and with, with, with just your college average, I mean, you hit 314. And so looking at your stats, I had to ask you, did you ever have a thought in the back of your mind uh, to try and go pro and to try and get drafted? Yeah, well, once again, thank you. I mean, like I said at the time, I wasn't really thinking about this stuff. I was just trying to put my head down and do it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to play. Um, and then I wasn't drafted after my junior year. And so going to my senior year, I was kind of talking to scouts about what you know my numbers have to look like in order to get picked up and that kind of thing and and I there was some interest there and then in the fall I tore my uh right UCL the you know Tommy John um mm -hmm. situation doing throwdowns at second base so that pretty much put me out and then when I came back I came back from a full rehab program no surgery try to do it that way um I kind of had it in my mind that I was going to graduate after four years I didn't have very many classes left um just because I'd worked pretty hard in school and so I figured out oh, what the heck if I if I can't make it back, then that's the end of baseball, you know? And so I tried to make it back, re-injured my arm, um, ended up just DHing that year. 
and uh, didn't get drafted. So at that point, I went on to work in the business world um, very briefly. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, just the timing is never right, I guess. And, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. Right. I, I mean, I, I go by this saying every single day, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, and you know, it's, it's awesome that you, you were still able to live the dream of, you know, being a player uh, on, on a major league squad. Um, and, and it was something where, like, I got to ask you with with Tommy John surgery, like, no, well, actually no surgery. Uh, but but like sort of how is how is that process uh, just rehabbing, especially without the surgery? Like, and how strenuous was it? Because I've never really heard about it. Yeah, the rehab process was just more of like, it's just the same stuff you would always do in a typical throwing rehab thing. So it's tons of like internal rotation, external rotation, um, tons of leg work, lifting, jumping, like all those little muscles in your arm that you hate working out, doing that kind of stuff. A really gradual throwing program from like 30 feet away with 20 throws. And then eight weeks later, you're at full strength. So, um, we did the best we could and our athletic trainer was a rock star at Pepperdine. Um, but it's just my, the thing was torn. Like there was just no getting around it. And so, and then when I did end up actually getting surgery about a year later, um, then I had to do all that rehab crap again and it freaking sucks, but it works. Yeah, it works. So it's like, (laughs) you gotta do what you gotta do. But, uh, yeah. And when you injured it, like, how did you know? Did, did your elbow start? Because I, 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 doesn't it start in your elbow? And so did you have, like, an achy elbow? And you're like, I don't Something must not be right. Yeah, I – so in, like, the week proceed – I mean, my elbow kind of always bothered me. Like, I mean, to an extent. Like, I don't know the last time it actually felt really good. Before huh. surgery. Now it actually feels really strong. But before surgery, it was kind of always bugging me for years. And then um, there was, like, one week before I got it when it really started hurting. And it was kind of, like, right through that area. You can see the scar there. Like, oh, right yeah. in that area, it started really nagging me. And that's the first time I really went to the training room. And we did some stem with it and cupping and massage and other things. And it started feeling a little better. And so I skipped um, the day of practice. And then at the end of the week, I was like, oh, I feel pretty good. We started doing throwdowns, and it felt all right. And then we kept throwing, kept throwing. And all of a sudden, I let one go, and it was, like, immediate. Like, my freaking arm locked up I didn't hear a pop or anything like that but it just completely locked up super painful like could barely push or pull it and I was like oh boy that is different than what I'm used to so got the MRI and and that was kind of how things went from there that's interesting I I like how you said oh that was different (laughs) yeah it was it was different kind of pain for sure makes sense well so like you you said you you were in the business world after you graduated very briefly and and it I gotta ask you how how did you get to the player development uh intern uh with the Mariners and how did that ultimately help you uh get a position with the Yankees yeah that's a good question I so I started um working in the business world and the people I worked with were phenomenal. Um, the job itself, I wasn't, obviously my heart wasn't in it. Um, but the people I worked with are very supportive. And after a couple of months there, I explained to them, look, I, you know, I still have this passion to play baseball. Um, I, I, you know, hurt myself and, and I'm thinking that could have been a factor in why I didn't keep going. So I want to give this an, an honest shot. And they were totally supportive. They said, we understand do what you got to do. So I left the job, got surgery, did the full rehab, um, worked part time. Um, in the meantime there, I'm working for a Pepperdine alum who was extremely helpful and just kind of like taught me some things about business at the company that we were at there and also supported my rehab. And once that had completed, I was trying to play and this would have been 2019 early and it just, my arm had not made it back yet. I wasn't anywhere near ready to actually play in a game and all the uh, indie ball teams were already 
you know, trying to get their contract signed and, and it wasn't going to work on a minor league team. Like there was nobody really looking for a guy who'd been out of baseball for two years. And I just saw the writing on the wall. I was like, wow, I put in all this time here and I don't think this is going to work. So I know I don't want to go back to what I was doing before. And I know I really like baseball. And so I basically just reached out to some of the scouts that I had um, talked to as a player. And one of them, um, got back to me. He was a great guy. And he just explained, like, look, we have an internship opening. He was with Seattle. Um, and you should, you know, put in your resume, send it into me, I'll pass it along. And so um, one thing went to the next and, and I got an interview for it and went through the process for a month or so and was fortunate enough to get the job. So that was really a blessing because um, I'm not sure what I would have done had that not happened. But yeah, that kind of took me down this weird road to the internship. And then I don't know if you asked about like the part two of that, of like mm-hmm. going from Seattle to New York, like that had just, be, I, Seattle's phenomenal, like 10 out of 10. They, their people are great. Their, their process is great. I mean, they have one of the top minor league systems now and they're going to be really good in a couple of years um, or even next year possibly. Um, but they were very big on the new analytics movement, data driven movement. So they had Rapsodo, TrackMan, Blast Motion, KVest, everything under the sun um, and people who knew how to use it. And so I just had some really good people that, um, you know, were able to teach me this stuff and um, how it works and how you can apply it. And that was, you know, very, very lucky that I ended up with them. So, um, and then a friend of mine who had just recently retired, um, he knew the, you know, he, he had played for the Twins and the catching court for the Twins was Tanner Swanson who got the major league job with New York and we got connected that way. Um, and a lot of, you know, what Tanner and I talked about was this kind of new information. So it was just a combination of, of, you know, being in the right place at the right time as far as who I was able to learn from with Seattle and, um, and having that connection. And fortunately it worked out. That's awesome. It's, it's cool how like that roadmap all came together and, you know, those, just those strong relationships uh, were really able to help you obviously get to where you are now. And, you know, you know, it's it's really interesting to hear like an inside scoop of like what is going on in Seattle because I've I've been a huge fan of Jerry DePito um, yeah. ever since he got hired uh, in Seattle. Uh, actually, I got the opportunity to meet him. He was he was uh, scouting nice. at a minor league Red Sox game um, when he was the special assistant for Dave Dombrowski like two or three years ago, um, right before he got the job with Seattle. Um, and I thought it was so interesting, not only how nice he was. Um, but how open he was to the special assistant sort of job. Um, and I, I thought it was so cool to see a guy like him who, at least just in my mind, when he was with the Angels, all he cared about was just trading all the prospects away to get win-now people and spending money to get win-now people. And and when he went over to Seattle, all I thought in my head was, well, they need a rebuild. Like, like they, they can't be winning like this. And they tried it. They tried it with Nelson Cruz. They tried it with um, – Logan Morrison, uh, then they tried it with Robinson Cano, but he didn't sign Robinson Cano. But I thought, I thought, I thought it was so cool um, to see sort of how his – the way that he is a general manager completely switched. I, maybe that was just from like a fan perspective, I, I just, just sort of like uh, the plan for the teams. But kind of like what you talked about, I mean, they, they, they got Kyle Lewis – they got all. They got all these guys just stocked up in their minor leagues, and, and nobody's ready for what Seattle's got coming. Yeah, no, that, that's a great point. I, I only met um, Jared Depoto a couple times when I was with them, but always he always treated me so respectfully, which is really cool because I was you know way down there mm-hmm. on the totem pole, and he was obviously at the very top. Um, really enjoyed 
the conversations I had with him. And yeah, he's a terrific GM. Um, they fully committed to the rebuild. And like you said, Kyle Lewis, he's just one of many. Evan White, um, Justin Dunn, they got Logan Gilbert coming up behind them, and Jared Kellenick, Julio Rodriguez. Like, there's just so many names, um, so much talent on the way up. So I'm excited to see, you know, and, and like you said, he's so, he's so transparent. Um, that was one thing that Seattle really was big on was transparency and making sure there's an open line of communication between coaches and players, front office and players. And so I found that to be a really cool part of working there. Also, I love how much he trades. I love that stuff because he's a yeah. genius with it because I love how he'll, he'll like trade somebody away, then he'll trade him back. And then he'll then he'll trade him away. Like he he did so, he did something very similar to Taiwan Walker. He trades him to the Diamondbacks. Doesn't work with the Diamondbacks. He finds a way to get him back. Then he signs Walker again, and then he trades him to the Blue Jays in the in the off season. Yeah, he's he's very active certainly um, as GMs go. Uh, but like you said earlier, he he seems to have committed very strongly to this rebuild too. So they haven't had a ton of transactions in the last year or two and they're kind of letting that young talent really develop so it's cool it's it's interesting watching their their process i think they're going to be pretty good i hope so they definitely deserve it they definitely deserve to uh finally make it to the playoffs again uh but i, I was curious so sort of your knowledge uh with the player development uh sort of experience that you had does that play into your duties as, as a bullpen catcher or, or do you use that that kind of evaluation that you learned uh to help some of the pitchers that you work with yeah, to an extent. I think just the, fami the familiarity is the biggest thing. Um, I, I was using more of these devices when I was with Seattle because as an intern slash, you know, minor league video person for the Arizona League there, that was the job, was to run the video program, run the rep soda, run the tracking unit, like, for practice and game settings. And with the Yankees, like, they have, you know, people whose jobs that is and who do it extremely well. And so – I'm not operating those anymore. Um, I think the biggest thing is just having familiarity with what the information means, um, how it can be applied. And, and then, you know, obviously our pitching coach, Matt Blake, is extremely well-versed in this stuff. And a lot of people in the system are. And so they kind of just explain to me what they want from me in terms of content and things like that. And I'll assist them however I can. That makes sense. And, and so I, I've never really understood exactly the duties and exactly what a bullpen catcher does. So when you show up to the, when you show up to the field during game day or before game day, sort of what is the day-to-day -day, uh, of a regular day for a bullpen catcher? Yeah, it's kind of like a catch-all, um, you know, miscellaneous topics type thing. So, shoot. so a typical day I'd show up um, – First thing I do is probably change out the BP balls from the day before. So basically just go through every batting practice ball. If it's a good one, keep it. If it's a bad one, throw it out, replace it with a new one. Um, after that, I would, you know, input like the lineups to our um, internal systems and that kind of thing and, and start just running any reports we have or printing stuff that needs to be printed. Um, let's see. So then at some point, you know, we'd have the bullpen pitchers would go play catch and a couple of the starters, it's like, if they're not on their starting day or if they have a bullpen that day or something. So we'd go play, go play catch and then catch any kind of bullpens that guys would need. Um, and then there'd be, you know, some stuff on the computer. We might be creating videos for some of the pitchers, um, that kind of thing. And I'm trying to think other than that. Yeah, we, Oh yeah. And then we prepare, like, like I said, with some of the different paperwork before the game and that kind of stuff. And then obviously the game and I'm in the bullpen and then, resets for the next day so it's just one of those things where you always kind of like doing something like 
do something here, do something there, help out how you can. It's really fun. It's great to just kind of balance between different projects. Um, but yeah, catch all job for sure. That's super interesting. I, I never knew that, that that was sort of like the duties, you know, you know, obviously when you hear bullpen catcher, like you're like, Oh, they, they just sit out there with the bullpen, talk, talk it up with the bullpen guys and yeah. is, is a catcher if they need them. Um, and, and so, and so like what, what sort of things obviously uh, do you do during the game other than catching? Um, not too much. I think like our, our bullpen, the guys are great down there, really good personalities um, focused, but they keep it relaxed. So we just kind of chat during the game. There's not a whole lot. Yeah, just, you know, eat a little bit of food, um, chat, watch the game. And then when someone needs to get up, the phone rings and we go. So you spend most of the game just kind of watching, unless it's like a real big, heavy bullpen day. Um, I'd say usually I'd catch two to three guys a game. Because there's another bullpen catcher as well. Um, he's a phenomenal guy. He's, he's been there for a while. He kind of showed me the ropes. And so, like, he has guys that he catches. I have guys that I catch. Um, and we each catch, like, one or two guys a game, uh, you know, depending on the day. Obviously, sometimes there's a bunch of guys who will throw if it's a staff day or something. So, it just depends. But makes sense. pretty relaxed, yeah. That's cool. And, and so, sort of, like, the guys that you catch more often than others, like, have you been able to gain uh, a, a better relationship with those guys? Obviously, like, baseball-wise, just you guys understanding uh, sort of pitcher-catcher sort of things. But, like, out there in the bullpen, have you been able to gain some pretty good relationships with the guys out there? Yeah, I think – I mean, I wouldn't say any better or worse from the guys I catch or don't catch. I think all of our guys are really, um, really good guys to be around, really good personalities. So we kind of all just chat throughout the game. Um, being my first year, you know, in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't talk a whole lot. It's kind of learning and, and trying to meet people. And I think by the end, yeah, we had um, some good communications, good relationships down there. Um, but no difference whether I catch them or not. Just we're all down there together in the thick of it, you know. It must have also been weird, too, because like we talked about earlier, I mean, obviously the 60-game season and you go to spring training and then there's like a three-month break and then you go back to summer summer ball and like you have to try and introduce yourself and, and rekindle those relationships all over again. Um, so how, sort of how is that experience uh, really going into summer ball, having it be your first year? I mean, I mean you said you, you didn't really talk too much. You were just trying to learn. So was, was it tough? Yeah, I think like definitely during the beginning of spring training, I was – I was very quiet and just trying to, you know, meet people and learn my role. Um, once we came back, I just – I had a little more familiarity with what I was doing, and obviously it wasn't the first time I'd met most of the guys, so that was much easier. And like I said, they were so welcoming of me. I mean, they treated me respectfully, and, yeah, and they were very um, cordial. So, yeah, once we got to summer camp, and, and then the people I worked with, um, Radley Haddad and Mike Harkey. Radley was the other bullpen catcher, and he's also a coaching assistant. And then – Mike Harkey's our bullpen coach. They were phenomenal. So they, you know, kept everything under control. Um, the pitchers were great. And so, yeah, once we got to summer camp and into the season, um, felt much more comfortable around everyone and things went really well. That's awesome. And I got to ask you, have you been able to uh, catch Aradis Chapman in your time with the Yankees? Yeah, I, I don't catch him during the games. That's what Radley does. Um, I, I caught Chapman quite a bit and kind of like other, you know, if we throw – um, catch play well before the game, and then he throws a flat ground or throws a, a bullpen or that kind of thing. I've taught him in those settings. Um, I got to ask yeah. you, how tough is it being able to catch a, a ball that is going that fast? <laughs> yeah, he, it's really hard for sure. Um, I think, you know, he's accurate though, and that's that's been one of the good things. Like, he can get um, – when he starts throwing really hard, like during the game, when he's throwing 100 plus, like the ball can – you know, it's, it doesn't matter where you throw, the guys are going to swing. So he doesn't have to be quite as fine-tuned. But when he's doing his dry work, he's pretty, like, 
focused on one spot and hitting that spot. And so he's not chucking it 100 plus when he's doing that. So um, it's still very hard, obviously, but um, you get used to it. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. That makes sense. And so we talked a little bit about earlier uh, just how it was playing during COVID. And I got to ask you, with with the no fans, was it, was it sort of something weird uh, to not really hear anybody around you? And, and I, I've heard from other people that with the no fans, at least just in the dugouts, those guys talking crap to each other. So I, oh, I was, yeah. did something happen similar <laughs> at some point uh, in the bullpen? Um, we didn't have too much in the bullpens. Like usually the bullpens are kind of far apart and everyone's mm-hmm. just sitting watching the game. Sometimes you're in a room even. So there wasn't a lot of trash talking. I guess the only time you would have thought what would have happened would have been in San Diego because the bullpen sit right on top of each other, but there was nothing like we didn't even talk to the guys on the other side. So nothing like that. Um, definitely the lack of fans was super strange. Like I can't imagine for the players who've been with the team and are used to like 50,000 people and media mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. I mean, for me, like just even playing college ball at Pepperdine, where we didn't, we only got a couple hundred fans a night, and we made some trips, A and M and TCU and things, where we got more people there, a couple thousand. But like, this was even different than Pepperdine. Like, at least at Pepperdine, you did something, you heard cheering and whatever else. Like, there was nobody at the game. Like, it was very bizarre. So, I think that in the beginning, um, it was weird for all of us, and it definitely like you had to find other ways to like rally yourself up for the games. But I think as you got used to it, um, it became just kind of a new normal. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, I saw a uh, mic'd up thing of Alex Verdugo and he was in the outfield. He's like, I'm all alone. He's like, I have yeah. no one to talk to. He's like, what's up Jackie? How you doing? Yeah. yeah. And then I even, a lot of the bullpen pitchers were saying like, for example, at Yankee stadium, you can sit outside right behind the right field wall. And they're like, man, this is nice being able to sit out here and, not have people just chirping you the whole time and throwing stuff at you and all this. Um, I guess one of the hidden benefits was being able to watch the game in peace outside, not have to stay in the room. That makes a lot of sense. And lastly, Aaron, I was just curious, uh, is you, you talked about like during the game, most of the time guys eat and just sort of wait until, until they come in. Did, did you notice uh, any sort of like games or any sort of things that you never would have thought of that players do to help pass time during the games? There wasn't too much that um, guys will get stretching and moving and stuff in like the third or fourth inning. And um, especially when, you know, depending on how the game's going, if they expect to pitch, um, not, not a ton of games and things like that. Um, I, I'll tell you what, my college team, like bullpen guys were a freaking riot. Like it was unbelievable. The stuff they would do it all like during mound visits for the other team, they'd play ping pong, like, with cups and no and no ball and all kinds of games down there. So um wasn't quite like that, but, you know, they kept it loose and it was a lot of fun. That's wicked funny. Yeah, because I was, I was just curious because I, I, know, I know myself, I, I mean, I, I've played baseball and there's times I get bored of the game, I, I, yeah. especially out in the bullpen. Uh, must get kind of lost with your thoughts at some points. Yeah, fortunately, there's just enough guys down there tend to – well, people were you can kind of hold a conversation for a couple innings at a time and switch, you know, that kind of thing. So it wasn't too bad. That makes sense. Well, Aaron, I really appreciate you taking the time to not only give a give everybody insight about your story on how you got to the Yankees uh, in, in a very cool sort of way, but also sort of explaining a little bit what it's like to be a bullpen catcher and sort of like the duties as well. I thought I thought this conversation was super interesting. I learned a lot. Yeah. Of course, Jake. Absolutely, man. I'm happy we can make this happen, and, and thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.